You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a copy of God's Word or an app or a, some kind of device, open it to Hebrews 9. We have been working our way through this book, and we are moving um, towards the end. There's a reason that we remember certain things like music or songs I, 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 this week I Googled, you know, top songs that people know, right? And so it came up with the, the top 100 songs that everyone knows the lyrics to. And apparently I'm not everyone because I knew two in the top 25. <laughs> Whitney Houston's, and I, that, that one, remember that? That's, that's very 1990s, Kevin Costner. And, uh, and Bohemian Rhapsody, that was the only, only two in the top 25 I knew. Uh, there was a couple like Taylor Swift and like Imagine Dragons. I don't, I don't know that, who that is. Imagine, I know that's a band. but uh, So apparently not everyone knows these lyrics. But, but there's a reason why when I asked a few weeks ago, a lot of you knew Jenny's phone number. Because 8675309. You remember because you, you sung it. There's a reason why you don't need to ask directions to go to your kid's school or to the grocery store or to get home from church today. The re- there's a reason why you, you, that favorite recipe that you, you've made a thousand times, you don't need to look it up. How much of this or how long do I need to put it in the oven for? You just know. You don't need someone to remind you of what your passcode is to open your phone, most of you. Right? You, some of you, you even know your school's alma mater. Right? Or your, your fight song. Right? I still remember 31 years ago. When I entered the gates of the citadel, I still remember the cadet prayer. Almighty God, the source of light and strength, we employ our blessing in this, our beloved institution, that we would continue to true to its high purposes, guide and strengthen those upon the rest of the party. I can go through the whole thing. I can go through the alma mater. O citadel, we sing thy fame for all the world to hear. I know it. Why do I know it still 31 years later? I don't care about their team. I don't give any money to the school. Because of repetition, repetition, repetition. I said it so many times. I know it. You've driven home so many times, you know it. You've made that meal so many times, you know it, right? Repetition, repetition, repetition. And, and not to get into the, the, the science that's way beyond me, but, but brain studies show that when you do things over and over and over, your brain actually forms pathways uh, to, because, to, to, so that so it's easier to do, that it's easier to remember, which is why addiction, by the way, is so hard to get over because you've built pathways in your brain to do this over and over and over. It's why uh, repetition is the key to learning something. And so if you read the book like Outliers, great book. If you haven't read it, read it. The idea that mastery of something takes a thousand hours. And the the book, if you read it, it's interesting that it argues why the Beatles are the greatest band of all time, which, yeah, top three. But they mastered because they played so many years in Germany before that. I mean, it's a very fascinating. But the idea of repetition, repetition, repetition. Key athletes, stud athletes. Michael Jordan was not just gifted. He worked hard. Repetition, repetition, repetition. M- millions of foul shots, millions of swings, millions of throws. Repetition, repetition, repetition. It's the way we learn. And it shouldn't be surprising then that God's word repeats itself because who is the author of the word and who is the creator of your brain? God. He knows that the key for you to learn something is repetition, repetition, repetition. So even if you study the Lord Jesus and the way he disciples his, his 12 disciples, how many times did he teach them the same thing? Over and over and over and over and over. Why? Repetition, repetition, repetition. Even the apostle Peter, 
Later in his life, when he writes his second letter, he says, to remind you of these things is no problem for me. And it's a safeguard for you. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And I say all that to say this. The writer of the Hebrews understands this principle because today in our text, he is going to tell us nothing new. Nothing, not one new thing. All he's gonna do is repeat what he has said over and over and over. Because we're about to move into the third section of the book. In the first couple of weeks, I, I put this chart up. This is kind of my outline of the book. The, the theme of our book, if you remember, is the superiority of Christ. You have a group of Jewish men and women who some are, are faithful to the Lord, but some are going back to the Old Testament law. They're leaving Christ and going back to the Levites and leaving Christ and going back to the, the priests and the temple and the sacrifices. And he's writing to stir them up, to encourage them to move forward. Don't go back, go forward. It's foolish to go back. And he's arguing, and he has been, why Christ is better. And so the first section, it talks about how Christ is better in his, superior, in his personhood. I'm going to go back to that real quick there. Oh, there it is. In his, in his personhood, he's better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. This middle section we've been in for a couple of weeks, it's his priesthood is better. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the Levites. He is of the order of Melchizedek. He's just better. And we're about to move into the last section, which is he is superior for our living, which is really the more practical section of the book. But before he moves on, he's going to repetition, repetition, repetition us. So we get it. So we don't move on before making sure we grasp what he has said. And so my goal for us today, very simple, I want to kind of move through, we're going to be moving through a, a large section of scripture, a chapter and a half. And, and really to kind of grab one piece out of each one of those sections and that you would get the main idea. What has he been saying? It's not new, but what has he been saying? So before we move on, that you grasp, that you understand, that you learn what he has said, all right? And where we've been, where we looked at last week was Jesus is better than the old covenant. The new is better than the old. And this, this contrast is gonna continue, that Jesus is better than Aaron, that the old is, is not as good as the new that law is not as good as grace. And that idea is going to continue in chapter 9 and 10. So let's jump in because we've got lots to cover and we'll look at it. Verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. And the first section in which, oh, excuse me, in which where there were a lampstand and a table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the section, curtain, was a second section called the most holy place. There we go. Let me go with this one. And having the golden ark, altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail, nor can we because we don't have time, but we did a whole series on this three years ago in the book of Exodus where I covered the temple and two, tabernacle in two weeks. You can go back, but here's what he's highlighting. There was this thing called the, the, tab, the, the tabernacle or the, the tent of meeting, ultimately. The first thing was the tent in the wilderness, and then it became the, the temple. And it looks something like this, right? Moses got the plan from God. They build it, and they would move it every time they would move. And you can see out front, there's this big, there's this big altar, and then there's this big basin where the priest would wash. And if you, kinda, if you went to an overview of what it looked like from the top, that, that, you know, on the very left there, that's the big altar and there's a basin. And then in those two rooms, there's this middle room that was called the holy place. And there's, there's a thing of bread on the right side and there's this candle on the left side and there's a little altar of incense in front of this big veil. And behind that veil would be the Ark of the Covenant. And he's just unpacking, he, they know this. And he's recapping that for them, right? That's his idea. 
He's saying that, that was happening. And in, and in the Ark of the Covenant, there was three things. There was the budded rod of, man, of, of Aaron, and there was a bowl of manna, and there was the Ten Commandments. All three things that pictured something that the people of Israel had rejected. God's provision and the manna, God's leadership and the rod of Aaron, and the God's law and the Ten Commandments. It's all there. He's reminding them of that. And they said, these preparations, having been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their duties, but in the second section, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. He's saying, okay, you know, those Levites, remember, they would go into that middle section. That's that little middle section where they would, you know, replace the bread, and they would put new, new oil in, and they, only the Levites and the priests could go in there. And then in that, beyond that veil that's there, only the high priest one time per year could go in, put some blood on the Ark of the Covenant, and get out. Get out of Dodge. He's just reminding them of this. And he says, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Here's what he's saying. Big picture. As long as the temple slash tabernacle is still functioning, sacrifices, Ark of the Covenant, all that stuff, then there is no real access to God. There is for one dude, once a year, and it's quick. It's in and out, blood out. He said, as long as that whole system is still working, then there is no real access to God. Because look at the last section of this verse. He says, that cannot, those offerings and sacrifices cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Cannot. When we're talking about conscience, we're talking about that inner, inner self, that heart of man that, that determines what is right and wrong or what, what feels what is right and wrong, that thing that can be defiled and it can be seared, the New Testament says. You know, let little Jiminy Cricket, let conscience be your guide. No, let it not, don't let it be your guide because it can be corrupted because the heart is deceitfully wicked. He said, but that inner man, it never can be purified ever by that first system. Why? Because that only deals with food and drink and washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. It was an external deal. So all these rules these Old Testament saints had, no shrimp. What if you really love shrimp? What if you really wanted to get a tattoo of like barbed wire on your arm, which is the dumbest thing ever, but you know, if you have that, I mean, no, it's really cool, I mean, I mean it's really cool. <laughs> but what if you wanted to eat shrimp and get a tattoo? What did you do? Well, you had to go and make a sacrifice. You had to kill a goat for that. I ate shrimp. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Here's a goat. But the idea was every time you did something like that, you had to go back to the temple. And every time you left the temple, you knew, I have to come back tomorrow. It never dealt with the heart. It never really changed you from the inside out. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come and through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. We talked about this last week. The temple in heaven, right? The one that Jesus entered, the real one, the, the one that was the original, not the, 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 the copies on earth. He entered what? Once for all, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of, a defiled, of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? Notice the last phrase. How much more will Jesus purify our conscience? The law couldn't purify our conscience. Jesus can. And it's an argument for lesser to greater. He's saying if the old, old covenant and blood of goats and stuff was able to deal with like your tattoo and your shrimp, you know, your shrimp deal, how much more is Jesus with your heart? 
He actually can purify your heart. He actually can cleanse the inside of man so that you don't have to leave thinking, I gotta come back tomorrow. He actually can do it. And this is, y'all, if you've been around at all, this is not new stuff. He said this numerous times. Jesus had to offer one sacrifice. Jesus entered into the heavenly temple. Jesus did, he was without blemish. All these things, it's repetition, repetition, repetition. So why? Why does he keep coming back to this? Do we get it, right? Or do we? And here's the point I want you to get before we move on. And it's a simple one, and it's a foundation of Christianity, but you got to grasp this before we move on. Because it doesn't matter how practical we talk about if you don't get this. Here it is. is that Christ alone purifies us from our sin, period. That he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That there is no other name under heaven by which men be saved, Peter says. And the reason why I tell you that is this. There's going to be times in your life, maybe today, when you come through those doors and there's this heaviness. And there's this guilt and shame and sin. And it doesn't help that the adversary, that your enemy, the diablos, the devil, the the Satan, the slanderer is sitting on your shoulder saying, you're going to sing, holy, holy, holy. Are you kidding me? How about defile, defile, defile? How about sinner, sinner, sinner? And he's going to attack and slander, and he's going to accuse you because that's what the accuser of the brethren does, and he wants to remind you of your sin. And there's going to be times of that heaviness. And what you need to know, the only right response there is, you're right, Satan, I am. But God, Christ purifies me from sin. And some of you need to hear that because you're just, you're still stuck you're trying to just fix yourself. I'll be better this week, God, I promise. I'll do more quiet times. I'll serve. I'll, I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good. And you're white knuckling it. And all you're doing is going back to the law. You're, you're running to something that can't really help you. And even though, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to go back to the law because the law doesn't purify you. And you're going to come back and you're never going to feel clean. And you're, you're never going to have a pure conscience because the law can't do that. Right? And, and so what this writer and, and this preacher is trying to remind you of, run to the one who can do something. Stop running to the one who can't. I mean, you run into the law or trying hard or doing better. That's like you come up after church and say, Bill, I, I, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. I really, I think I have an ear infection and I, I, need, I need some help with that. And my, my like third or fourth vertebrae back here is really sore. You know what I'm going to tell you? Eat some Lucky Charms. I don't have nothing for you. I, what do you think I am? I, I barely got through biology as a PE major, and you want me to help your e- Go to the one who can help. Go get you an ENT or a doc in a box or something. Don't come to me. And if you're running to the law, or if you're running to, I'm going to just go to church and be good, you're running to something that can't help. The Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. Run to him. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you for all unrighteousness. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You gotta run the one who can purify you. He's the only one. And and here's the thing, y'all. If you came in heavy, weighted, guilty today, you can leave. You can experience a pure conscience. Not because you came to church or you sang a song. Because Christ forgives sinners. And y'all, he delights to do it. 
Do you realize that God the Father delights to forgive sinners? If you don't believe me, read the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. Read those parables and tell me that the Father does not delight in forgiving sinners. That's what he does. And, And if you don't get that, it doesn't matter what else we say. It really doesn't. That's what this author, for this audience here that he's writing to, that are trying to go back to the why. They don't offer forgiveness. They can't. Only Christ purifies from sin. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Let's go to the second section. Therefore, in light of that, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This next section, you're gonna see the word death or blood over 10 times. It's, it's kind of a, a dark section, and there's a reason why we'll come back to, but, but circle those ideas in your, in your mind as we kind of work through this quickly. Verse 16, for there, where there's a will involved, the death of one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it alive. His idea is there is this, and it's the same with us. If there's a will, a living will, it only takes place after someone died, right? This is what we leave you. You get nothing because you were a punk, but he gets everything, right? That's, it's a will, and it only takes place when someone dies. That's his idea. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Go back and read Exodus 24. This is what he's talking about. When God inaugurates the first covenant, Moses sprinkles blood on the people. Because with the first covenant, there had to be blood. And just like with the first covenant, there had to be blood and everything was purified in the first covenant with blood, the second covenant is the same. The new covenant is the same. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but with the heavenly things himself with better sacrifices, not the blood of bulls and goats, blood of Christ. For Christ entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And he could only bring us with him if a sacrifice had been made, which is what he's been talking about. Verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not of his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Again, this is not new. Repetition, repetition, repetition. He goes into what? The heavenly temple. He goes one time. He doesn't continually offer sacrifices like the Levites. He's he's said this chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, but he's bringing it to a conclusion. Here he says, and just as is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because he dealt with that at the cross, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting. He says, men die once, then come judgment. Jesus dies once, then comes life. And this, by the way, this verse is one of the reasons why we do not believe in the Roman doctrine of purgatory, which says you can pray someone out of you know, purgatory, they go to purgatory for a while, because when, once you die, it's it. Judgment after that, right? You have, up until that point, you're right, there's, there's freedom, there's freedom believer, reject. but once you die, that, you will either spend eternity with Christ or eternity apart from. There is no, there's no second chance, there's no coming back. And, th- and this is one of the passages that support that. But here's his idea. Again, death, blood, death, blood, death, blood. Why, 
all this darkness, really? What is he trying to talk about? It's repetition, it's repetition, repetition. What he's trying to highlight here is this, and what he has, and what the whole Bible is, is and it's a very simple idea, is that sin is serious. It's, it's sin is, is a serious thing. The result, two things result of sin, what? Death and judgment. The wages of sin is death. And, and this is not so we're feeling guilty, y'all. That's, that's not the point. The point is for us to see the seriousness of sin, right? Sin requires death. That, it's it's part, part of what's been baked in. Sin requires death. And this is the way it's always been. Go back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, sin. And what happens? Immediately they recognize they're naked. They try to hide themselves with some fig leaves. It's ridiculous. And what does God do? He kills something to cover their shame. Something has to die because of Adam and Eve's sin. You go to chapter four, the story of Cain and Abel. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Two brothers come. They both bring offerings to God. God accepts one. He doesn't accept the other. Why? One brings tomatoes and apples and bananas, and God doesn't accept that because he is not a vegetarian. Is that what it is? Probably. No. One brings a blood sacrifice. The other brings the best he's got, my best tomatoes, my best apples. God doesn't want your best. Your best is nothing. Sin requires a sacrifice. That's why the Passover lamb, the innocent little one-year-old Passover lamb has to die so the people could go free. It's, it's the way it has been. And it, y'all, it's not because God is down on animals. He hates animals. He wants dead animals, dead animals, dead animals. He's trying to get us and them to see sin is weighty. It results in death. And you would think they would have got it in the old covenant. I mean, they, every time they sin, they gotta go up to the temple they go up to the tabernacle. They got to offer a dove. They got to offer. And don't think it was just not a bloody mess. The Levites and their white garb just cover it like butchers. And the smell, you could smell it from, I mean, this is not like, you know, barns when you come out of church, you're like, oh, it smells good up there. Let's go. You know, let's go to temple. No, it's the smell of death. The stench of death constantly is a reminder, sin costs. And what we're going to find out in the next section, chapter 10, is that the blood of bulls and goats wasn't good enough, y'all. It never could actually take away sin, which is why God himself had to become a man, take on humanity, and die in our place, because that's the only way, ultimately, sin could be dealt with, that God would deal with it, not the animals. Because it's serious. And there's two kind of responses here. One for, for those who are Christians and one for those who are not. For those who are Christians, here's the response. It's not that, oh, you should feel guilty. I'm not saying you should come through the door and feel guilty, 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 guilty. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. If you are a follower of Christ, you cannot take lightly sin. You just can't. The attitude of, and we see this a lot. Well, I, I can do that because I'll, God will just forgive me. I'm going to do that, and then after I do that, God will forgive me. Does God forgive? Yes, he does. But we'll see in chapter 10, that kind of like stiff-arming sin to God, that's not a good place. 
If you are in a place where you're like, well, I'm just gonna do this and afterwards, then, then it shows your heart. You're, what you're basically saying to God the Father is, I don't care that my sin cost your son his life. I don't care. I'm doing this anyway. I, I don't know if you wanna do that. I'm not saying that when we slip up, we fall. Yes, we all sin. But the point is that God has redeemed us from those things. If you go back to verse 14, it says he purified our conscience from dead works to do what? To serve the living God. That's the idea. He, he purified me so that I would flee immorality, not run to it. He purified me so I would put aside hypocrisy and envy and slander, right? That's what he did. And we're not just talking about, we do this, we play this game all the time in church. We're not talking, we're talking about well, it's just the big sins, right? We don't want to talk about the big sins. We'll talk about murder. Yeah, let's talk about murder, but let's talk about gossip too. Because God calls you to be running from gossip and slander just as much as he does murder, right? I don't know how much your temptation for murder is, but I know it's big for slander. It's not just adultery. It's that second glance. It's coveting. It's not just drugs and drunkenness, which we talk about. It's gluttony, the church's favorite sin, right? It's not just uh, stealing Grand Theft Auto. It's stealing from your employer. It's envy. God is, is calling us to flee all these things. Right? That's why he, he, he saved you from dead works and now to serve him. And that means even when things are hard, that you, he's, he's empowered you, he's enabled you. When stuff stinks, it's like the Habakkuk says, though the fig tree would not produce blossoms and there's no food in the, in the field, Though the olive tree won't produce, there's no sheep in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I will find joy in the God of my salvation. He is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on my high places. That's what God has called you to, right? And so we got to take sin seriously. If your right hand causes you to stumble, what do you do? Not wave it. Just cut it off. And I'm not saying you should physically cut your hand off. Please don't come in here next week with a stump. It's metaphorical, people. But the idea is it's serious. Why? Because it cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus his life. And we're to run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? That's what we do. And that, this author is going to get us there, but that's, that's important for us. And if you're not, if you're... Other application is if you're not a Christian this morning, right, then you've got to answer this question. How do you deal with the death problem? Because, you, I mean, you can ignore it and try to eat healthy. That may help. Be a miserable experience, but, you know, just kidding. <laughs> you can try to ignore it and pretend it's not going to happen, but it will happen. I don't know when. I hope in a long time. But here's the reality. I stood on this stage yesterday and did a funeral for a three-month-old. No one expected. You don't know. And so I would say this. It's appointed for men to die once, and then comes judgment. And Revelation says you will be judged according to your works. You don't want to be judged according to your works. You want to be judged according to Jesus' works. <laughs> that's, that's the difference. So what you do with Christ now is all that matters. So I would encourage you. Jesus alone purifies from sins. 
right? He alone purifies our sins because sin is serious and only he can do it, right? Only he can do it. And there's one more section, chapter 10. And again, this is repetition, repetition, repetition. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, underline that, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Has he said this before? I mean, have you been here at any amount of time? Have you heard this from him? It cannot make you perfect. It cannot make you perfect. It cannot make, why? Because it's a picture. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He said, you think it takes away sins? The actual irony of it is it just, it's the opposite. It reminds you that you, you're still a sinner. Every time you go up, you're like, yeah, I'll be back next year. I'll be back next year. It just reminds you of that. Why? Because it's a shadow. It is a picture. What's a picture? I got like a thousand pictures here. I should have put this one on the thing, but you guys will be too cuted to death because this is Maverick. And he is the greatest dog ever. But he is very sweet. But I don't sit here with this picture and be like, oh, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. You, you want to go outside? You want to play rope toy? If I start doing that, by the way, you need to take me to somewhere quick. <laughs> Kill the cat, Maverick. Kill the cat. I do tell him to do that, but he won't. He hasn't yet. <laughs> Why? I don't, I don't sit here with this and I'll lick me. Uh... It's a picture, y'all. It's not the real thing. The real thing's at home right now, probably in the trash can. That's the real thing. This just points to that reality. The law was a point, was pointing to the reality of who Christ is, the one who could really purify. Right? And so he's going to highlight that again. He said, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body you have prepared for me. He's quoting Psalm 40, which is about Jesus. It's Jesus talking, basically, to the Father. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have not taken pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. This is Jesus speaking, in essence. I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Does that sound familiar? Your will be done, Jesus said. And he does away with the first, the temple, the tabernacle, in order to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will, Jesus saying, your will be done, Father. What is the Father's will? By that will, we have been sanctified, past tense, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Has he said this before, people? Repetition, repetition, repetition. Once for all, not continually. And every priest stands daily at the service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Have we heard this before? which can never take away sins. Have we heard this before? But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, have we heard that before? He sat down at the right hand of God. Have we heard that before? Yes. Waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool. That's Psalm 2. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. By the way, for those of you who have heard people say you can lose your salvation based on Hebrews 6, take them to Hebrews 10. A single offering, he perfected past tense for all time, those who are being sanctified. How can you lose your salvation if Jesus sanctified you past tense and perfected you for all time? You can't, right? And so you, if once saved, always saved, there's eternal security to believe. But this is where he lands. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, and he quotes again, Jeremiah last, last week, 
This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. The new covenant. I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these because of Christ, there is no longer an offering because Christ made it. And what, again, this is not new. This is what he's been saying the entire time. He's just trying to drive it home. But here's what I want us to see. From, from even from the old covenant, y'all, God was not about just killing animals. He wasn't about just going through the motions. He has always, always, always been about something greater. He didn't, he didn't really ultimately care about their bulls and sacrifices. In fact, if you read Prophet Amos, which is a book that most of you have probably never read, let's be honest, all right? I've read it because I'm a pastor, but that's about it, right? Okay, Amos says this. This is God speaking to the Israelites. I hate I despise your feasts. I take no delight in them and your solemn assemblies. These are the same feasts, by the way, God said to, to do in Leviticus. If you don't do them, I'm going to smoke you. He said, I hate them. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Your peace offerings, the fat animals, I won't even look at them. Take away from me the noise of your song. Stop singing. The melody of your harps, that was the Old Testament guitar. I don't listen to them. What? Wait, I thought that's what you wanted. Nope. He says this through prophet Nathan to, to Saul. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than a sacrifice. He says in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Jesus quotes it to the Pharisees, you people acknowledge me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. What has he always been after? What is the first commandment? And greatest commitment, love the Lord your God with all your heart. God has always, from the beginning, been trying to get us to be seen. It's about the heart. It's about transformation, not about behavior modification. Who cares if you're singing holy, 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 if you really don't care? I mean, that's this point. You can sing the songs all you want. You can put your little tithe in the box all you want. You can do your quiet time in Amos. Some of you are going to do it tomorrow. I know you are because you feel guilty. You've never read Amos. That's fine. Read it. But... It doesn't, it doesn't move anything if it's, not, if it's not the heart. That's what God is calling for. That's why the new covenant was necessary. He wants to transform our hearts, not our behavior. And if the heart is transformed, guess what will happen? The behavior. This is why he's, the psalmist, David, after he commits adultery and he's confronted and he repents, he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Not the sacrifices of God. Let's kill another bull for my sin. It's a broken heart. Oh, God, you won't despise that. This is why the Sermon on the Mount, we covered it. Jesus says the first thing, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. And then what? Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? Their sin. And then their hunger and thirst for righteousness, which only God can give. And then they're, because they've experienced it, they're merciful and they're peacemakers. And they're willing to suffer and be persecuted for his name's sake. And they're salt and light. That's what he's been after from the beginning. It's the heart, right? It's not just about the actions. And if you've, if you've been dating or married for any amount of time, you've probably had one of these conversations, right? In a car, maybe you're at the house, you're like, so where do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Well, I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, I, I kind of want to go to the TJ Maxx. I'm just throwing that out there, right? Okay. Okay, well, let's go to TJ Maxx. Well, 
but I don't want to go to TJ Maxx if you don't want to go to TJ Maxx. No, I, you want to go to TJ Maxx? Let's go to TJ Maxx. But I don't, I, don't want to go, I don't want you to go just because I want to go. I want you to go because you want to go. <laughs> Maybe you've never had that conversation. But you get what I'm saying, right? It's not about just going to TJ Maxx. It's about wanting to go to TJ Maxx. <laughs> Does anyone want to go to TJ Maxx, really? I actually like TJ Maxx, believe it or not. So. But that's, sometimes you just got to go to TJ Maxx. Don't get me wrong. Right? And there's a time as Christians, I mean, we don't feel like it, but we do it because it's right. And that's Jesus in the garden. Father, take this cup from me. But what does he say? Your will be done. In the end, he delights to do his will. And, and the, the idea is this. As you are transformed into the image of Christ more and more and more, you're delighting in him and he's giving you the desires of his heart. And it's not, I have to come and serve. What does he say? And, and 914 again? He's purified us from our conscience from dead works. So we serve. We delight to serve. It's not, I have to wake up in the morning and read God's word. It's, I got the living God waiting for me. He's been waiting all night because he doesn't sleep or slumber. And so when I get up and have my coffee and I'm ready, I get to spend time with the living God and he hears me and I get to talk to him. I get to go serve him. I get to come and, and sing to him even though I can't sing worth a lick. And he, he, he delights in that. So it's, it's a change and that's what he wants to be doing in us. It's about the heart. It always has been. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's why my prayer for today was not that you leave thinking, oh, I understand Hebrews. I don't care if you understand Hebrews, but I want you to glorify your God and love your God who loved you first and sent his son so that you could know him. And he entered into the heavenly temple through his own blood so that you could one day be in that same temple with him. And so as we move to kind of transition to sing and respond, and again, we've always, I say this once in a while just so you know if you're a guest or you're new, we have singing after the time in God's word because we want you to respond. And if that means sitting down there, or that means coming down and get on, on your knees down front as a, a symbol, great. We have folks in the back hall that will pray with you after the service. They would love for you to come and pray with them. Whatever is appropriate, it's just a time for you to, to respond to the Holy Spirit of God. As you do, let me give you three quick questions to think through. Maybe think through today, maybe think through this week, maybe think through in your groups. First is this. It's related to the first section. Is your conscience pure? If you, if you don't know the answer, think about it. Has your conscience been pure? Not because you're good or you came to church today and you feel good about that, because Christ and what he has done. Question two, how are you responding to, to sin in your life? Big sin, small sin? Are you nursing it? Are you hiding it? Are you justifying it? Are you dealing with it? And, and look, this secret... Spoiler alert, there'll always be something to deal with until Christ comes. May not be as big anymore, maybe more subtle, maybe internal, but there's always something. How are we dealing with it? Are we owning it? Moving towards grace? Asking God to give us strength? Last question. How is God transforming you? Right? How is he transforming you? Is, is there your heart to do what he says? And if there's not, and, and, and we've all been there. I would just ask, maybe you should pray Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. That's a prayer God honors. 
There's nothing wrong with praying the Psalms, y'all. Pray them up. That's what they are, their prayers. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to show you where, where you're, you're not being transformed, where you're hardened, where you've calloused yourself. And, and the great thing about him is he delights to forgive and to restore and to That's what he does. It's his speciality, right? He delights in forgiving and restoring sinners. So whatever is appropriate for you this morning, just do that, right? Whatever God is calling you to do, maybe it's just to celebrate your, your forgiveness of sins, then do that. So let me pray and we'll sing uh, and respond through worship. Father, I, uh, I ask that you, uh, whatever is appropriate, for us right now, that you would um, draw us near to yourself. We, we know that sin is serious, but we know that Christ has dealt with sin, and you desire to transform us, not be- modify our behavior. And so do that. May we be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not conform to this world. Uh, and may we be waiting eagerly for you who have already save us, that you would save us from this place, save us from uh, the presence of sin and the power of sin, and ultimately uh, just bring us to yourself. And so we pray that in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. You could stand if you'd like as we sing.